You're listening to the Phi Team Radio, preaching financial independence and assisting investors achieve a more flexible and free lifestyle through smart financial planning and real estate investing. If you have any interest in leaving your 9 to 5 job and retiring early, tune in and listen to the stories of like-minded individuals who made the leap to financial independence. What's going on, everyone? You are listening to the Fi Team Podcast. My name is Craig Kurloff, aka the Fi Guy, and I'm here with my co-host Ziana McIntyre. What's up, Z Money? Hey. Oh man, I'm starting to feel jealous about your Hawaii-ness. It is a beautiful blue sky day in Colorado, but it started off pretty glum this morning. So wow, it's actually a rare overcast day in in Hawaii today. So uh I still haven't seen the drop of rain, I don't think, since I've been here for almost a month now. But maybe you took some of that blue sky with you, Z. <laughs> yeah. Well, so this guy today is one of your former clients. Just like a, yeah, he was... a Craig fave. He just loves you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I try to only bring people on that absolutely love me because it really just boosts my ego and you know makes me feel good. So that's what this podcast is all about, right? No, but Matt has a pretty cool story. Obviously got a house hack, has an interesting house hack set up, had a crazy tenant situation that is definitely interesting to hear about. And you know now he's looking at number two and number, you know, hopefully number three in a year from now and uh, looking to build. So yeah, I think it's a great episode. Uh, Z, anything to add before we get into the show? No, I mean, stay tuned till the end because he does talk about just a horrible Airbnb story. And those are always fun to hear. People love to ask me about those and I just don't have too many. So this is going to be a good one. Yeah, Z's just too good for bad stories. She does her screening, right? <laughs> well, most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, let's, let's bring Matt on the show. Matt, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing today? Good, Craig. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. I I love what you do and love hearing your story. And and uh, no, this should be great. Yeah, man. It's going to be really fun having you on. It's been a minute since we caught up. Uh, your hair is longer and also neater. So yes, looks like some good things have happened in your life. But before we do a whole lot of catching up, why don't we re- rewind a bit and just see where did you first hear about financial independence? Yeah. So I'll kind of give the quick story how I ended up here in Denver and got connected with you. So I grew up born and raised in Chicago, Chicago suburbs. I went to Illinois for college. And then um, after school, I was working at Deloitte in there in the audit group for two or three years. Did that, learned, learned a lot. But I, I mean, that was, that was a tough job. I was 25 and, and pretty miserable doing what I did not want to do in life. Uh, so I ended up uh, just needing that life change. I, I loved uh, Colorado. I'd always I had some family out here and always loved the mountains, quality of life. So I made the move to Denver uh, about two or three years ago and just wanted to completely 180. So I switched from the accounting corporate world and got a job at a in tech sales at a startup at a company called Apto. And that's where Things really just started to flow better for me. And that just was a straight cold calling sales job. I was making 100 calls a day. And, and a lot of people would find that <laughs> uh, miserable, but I, I loved it. And I like sales. I like talking to people. And things started to flow for me out here a bit more. So what that company was, we actually 
call, we sold a CRM to commercial real estate brokers. So after a few months of doing that, I kind of realized I started to learn more about commercial real estate. And I know you're on the residential side, but I just started to realize that's what I wanted to do. So I ended up just starting to ask people for coffee, do that, going to more networking events and and uh, eventually made that transition over to commercial real estate to become a broker. But the problem with that was similar to what you're doing, you're building a book of business, you make no money for the first few years and, and you're just, uh, you're, you're kind of back to the bottom there. Unless so in order you're to Craig. Just... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Those first few years are tough. It's you're back to the bottom. So what I did just to manage, just to make it through that, I had a friend of a friend who he was leasing a, a house for four or five years and he just pretty much flopped a mattress in the unfurnished basement. And I was able to, and I just stayed there because I was full commission, just trying to, to make it and slowly build that book and, and was staying for $500 a month in an unfurnished basement. So quality of life, not good, not like from that, but it, it was freedom. It was, I was doing what I wanted to do. I found a career I was passionate about and I was able to budget so I could slowly start that life as a broker. So that, that story right there, like just that right there, I think is incredible. Deloitte is, if you don't know about Deloitte, like I, I've got a corporate finance background as well. So they're like one of the creme de la cremes of, of like kind of corporate finance type companies out there, what, auditing or consulting or whatever it is. And so you took that high paying, probably close to six figure cushy job in, in Chicago, kind of like said, you know what, screw that. I want to go take this risk when I go live a better life. So you got into sales. Sales is a hard job. You don't make a lot of money. Even at Apto, I'm sure you didn't make a whole lot of money in your first couple of years, unless you're a prodigy. And then you said, okay, actually, I don't even want to be outside of it. I want to be on the commercial side. And you you jumped right into that commercial side. And the risk you just took, right? Or the sacrifice you just made, where were you living when you were living at Deloitte? Were you living in a $500 you know, mattress on the ground dungeon? Or like, you know, like, did you no. scale back your life? I did a couple of years at home saving money that way, but no, I was doing the downtown Chicago thing and, and it was great. And, and, and same here, but if you, if you just look at the, the numbers, I mean, that's a, for people who, who go that corporate route, it's impressive, but it wasn't a fit for me. And, and you work so many hours and, and you know, I, I like working hard, but it wasn't a natural fit for me. You're in spreadsheets for 12 plus hours every day versus on the sales side, you could, you have to obviously put the put the work in, but it, it was just a natural flow for me where where my quality of life increased, and then all of a sudden, when I when I was happier on the work side, other aspects of my life started to flow better socially, and and then kind of you're able able to almost just take that step back and realize this is something more I want to do, or you could start those side businesses and and, and build that those other avenues that that you want to. Uh, want to explore. So then I had time to take a brokerage exam, start looking into other... I always had that entrepreneur drive in the back of my mind, but I never had that like golden idea or, or what I wanted to do. So that's where I feel like real estate is a great fit for that, where you can... Where you're building your book of business, but you're still helping other companies start from a small warehouse to grow and from one location to five locations and that. Yeah. So, all right, man. So it sounds like you kind of went, went from this to, to the, the commercial side, you skipped the residential piece, which I feel like a lot of people go residential, then commercial. You decided to kind of go basically right for the home runs there, right? Those are like the bigger deals and you're obviously getting paid more per transaction. I guess like, what was your strategy in becoming like a broker there? So the company I worked for, we sold a CRM. So essentially just a database management 
So it's the way to organize data for brokers. So I was cold calling brokers every day and I was never exposed to the residential side. I also had, I had a lot of family members who were uh, back in Chicago who were brokers or industrial brokers specifically, but you're kind of locked to the area you want, the area that you focus in. So if I built, if I was going to be a broker in Chicago, I'm going to be locked there for X number of years. I didn't want to live in Chicago. I wanted to be out West with the, the, quality of life in Denver and the mountains and, and all that here. So a little bit uh, just like that. Plus I like, I like the business side of it. I, I like working with businesses rather than maybe just individuals or families who want to build a home. It's, it's more straightforward. It's a, you need a 10,000 square foot warehouse with dock loading and drive-ins versus, and then you're not worried about the countertops or this or, or those more detail oriented items. <laughs> so when did Craig, your fairy godmother come into your life? Oh, okay. Father, so get, very godfather. <laughs> oh, yeah, those gender roles straight. Depends yeah, on the yeah. day. Depends on the day. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. I, yeah, well, Mon- yeah. Monday, Wednesdays, and Friday, I'm male. So okay. we record on this way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, and Craig, I, I mean, I'm damn impressed by what you've built and, and, and have done here. So I'm in on the commercial side. I, I, just from my accounting business background, I know owning property is, that was always in the back of my head. It just wasn't real. Given the point of life I was at, it it wasn't. I didn't think it was realistic. So I'd listen to these bigger pockets podcasts when I was doing busy work. Before I would, I was working on the on some of my commercial uh, real estate transactions, and then everything was going well. I had a, I was able to manage that almost full commission life by living for five hundred dollars a month. And then, so about two months before the pandemic and everything, everything in the world went to <laughs> a, a crazy place the owner of that house that the person who I was kind of subleasing from had uh, said they wanted to sell the house. So then all of a sudden it was just a mad scramble. And I was in that situation where I was just like, uh, what am I going to do? Like in the back of my head, what did I want to do? I wanted to live at that cool apartment um, downtown with the pool. And it just wouldn't make sense. But then you look at that. I I wouldn't have made it spending $2,000 a month. And that's what those places cost. If you get a one or two bedroom and in those places in Highlands or Low High or wherever. And then heard Craig on that podcast. It all kind of kind of started to click to me right then. Um, so I call him the next day or a couple of days later, we have a, a phone call and he kind of just, I don't know anything about the residential market in Denver. And he kind of walks me through it. Like, yeah, you can't live in Low High Highlands. Ryan, right? you can't buy a house there, but you could go 10 minutes west to Lakewood or Barnum West is where I ended up buying my first house hack. And it just started to click. So just from there that I heard Craig on bigger pockets and it paired exactly where I had a six week window where I was in a situation where, okay, do I sign a lease for a year? And then I just heard Craig on the podcast and realized it was realistic to start building this real estate investment side of my life uh, concurrently. Yeah. So can you give us like a little bit of a breakdown on the timeline? I think you said you had what, like six weeks to move out. And then you heard Craig on the podcast. Then you called him within a couple of days. So you're saying that like you were able to find a house and close within that period before you had to move. Yeah. I mean, it was, it went quick. Uh, and just because I'm listening to bigger pockets and those other, it's a mindset type podcast. And I've just learned that from my doing sports growing up and, and just, just how I operate. So it all went really quick. And it just made sense. The numbers made sense, even if, and I'm all about taking action. So even if it, 
just having the ability to cover, if I was able to afford the down payment and then realizing you could just put 5% down and then rent out rooms to hopefully cover the mortgage payment, as long as I could break even, it, 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 the numbers just made sense. So I was going to take action. That's awesome, man. And I'm glad, I'm glad my episode was able to inspire you, obviously. But just, just give people a little bit of clarity, right? I believe you reached out to me on like in like January of 2020. It was like pretty early 2020, maybe the end of 2019. We locked you in, you know, like you said, you know, we closed in mid-March of 2020. So, you know, again, it was about that six-week period. My question to you is you were a commercial broker, right? That is a 1099 type job, no steady W2 income. How were you able to qualify for the loan? Yeah. So the, the financing piece was, was the, I mean, that's always the hardest part because I had the two or three years of W2 experience from Deloitte, but then switched to 1099. So I, I had to have my parents guarantee the loan, but from living at, I mean, living at home and saving money, I had to have my parents guarantee the loan and was able to do the, the down payment and financing through just my savings from the previous jobs. Awesome. All right, man. So why don't you take us through that deal then? So I guess, you know, you, you let me know in January, we got you into something like a couple months later, you know, let us know how closing went. Let us know, you know, how did you find the place? What did you like about it? And then, you know, we can get into the numbers as well. Yeah. So I, I, I knew I wanted to take action. So really just getting a the criteria on, on the MLS max, just balancing pretty much. I, I was focused on just cash flow, breaking even, not having to, not having to pay rent every month. So really, what we did just had a search tracked on the MLS, targeted about ten or twelve properties. We looked at them all in a day. Uh, we had the financing set, and then we we narrowed it down by the end of the weekend. I think we tore it on a Friday, narrowed down the list by Monday submitted a contract for the house on Monday and we were in contract by the next week. So it went, it went pretty smooth. And I, and I was, <laughs> I was in a crunch. I needed something and had that hard deadline where they wanted, where I had to be out of the house by March 1st that I was currently living at. And I mean, there definitely were some hiccups in that, in that process. But I mean, looking back now, it couldn't have gone any better. I mean, the hardest part was just getting over that uncertainty, having that, that knot in your stomach where you think, Oh, is this a mistake? And, and just getting over those normal emotions that you'll have through that process. And it's just staying cool and collected through it. So, I mean, a lot, I, I really just leveraged, uh, leveraged a lot of, a lot of your advice on that search, Greg. Yeah. So there's, there are a lot of unknowns going into your first deal. And that's why it is also super important that you are investing with a investor friendly realtor that can guide you and and if you're listening to this and you haven't invested before, you know, you want to be able to lean on your realtor as a mentor and be able to like ask them questions and have them guide you, you know, not just through the transaction, but also after closes, how you get tenants and all that kind of stuff. And so, Matt, you said you looked at 10 to 12 houses. What did you like about what we put an offer in on? And what do we put the offer in at? What do we get it at? Let's get into yeah. some of that juicy stuff. Yeah. So the one, I mean, at this point, I, I was all in and I felt like I was in a, I mean, heck, I spent the last year living in a mattress on the, on the basement. So I was like, all right, anything's going to be better than that. <laughs> so, and I felt like my, what I want to do is just scale this. So every year, hopefully I can do another house hack is, is my goal and just mirroring what a lot of people in bigger pockets have done. So we found the house. It was in Barnum West is the neighborhood. It's right on the West side of Denver, right? Um, pretty close to Lakewood, but still in, in Denver. It. um, was a five bedroom house, but it had, 
it's not technically a duplex, but it's really a, a three bedrooms attached to a two bedroom ADU was how it was built out. And what's what was good about that is just having more privacy. When you get five people in a house, there's just so much commotion, but really it's it's almost like a three bedroom house attached to a two bedroom house, but not labeled as a duplex, labeled as an ADU. So I think that almost helped us where the house did I'm mean, given how competitive the Denver housing market is. The house was on the, it did sit for a few weeks on the MLS and, and it was just laid out perfectly where I had flexibility on that, on that ADU side where my original plan was to lease it out on Airbnb and just try and make that as passive as possible. And just cause the goal was to make it as hands off, but still renting by the room, you're going to be, you can make more money than renting the whole, the whole space as once. I'm curious why you didn't go the Airbnb route. And Uh, then I want to say that like, (laughs) there was nothing passive about Airbnb. So if people think that that's a passive route, it's definitely different than traditional like landlording. You have to think of it as hospitality. So you're creating experiences and in that you earn more, but you also have a lot more work. Oh my God. Okay. Can I tell you my first horror story that of just the worst mistake I made in this process? Like relatively getting it went pretty smooth. I would say, Craig, I mean, we were all business. There was no, like we, the, the close, yeah, we got the inspection report back and fixed the roof and just, they fixed some things and it fixed others. But then we, we closed and I furnished the space. Yeah. But yeah. One, one thing I want to mention, so I'm not even sure if you know about this or not, but I do remember pretty clearly that we had some issues with the appraisal on your property because the appraiser would go into that. So this was not, you know, typically in Denver, we have these up down duplexes separated by door, right? This was different. He has this three bed, two bath or three bed, one bath kind of in the front separated by a wall. And then you have to go outside to go to the back additional dwelling unit. And the appraiser went in and said, I am not appraising this property. It is zoned single family, but it is clearly a duplex. There's no way to get from each unit on the inside. Therefore, it is a duplex. And so the appraiser wouldn't appraise it. And without an appraisal, obviously the lender can't do their thing. So this thing, I believe actually did get delayed because of this. And I was like, shoot, man, I hope we can get another appraiser who understands that this is a single family with an ADU and all this kind of stuff. So I'm not sure how much you were in the weeds with that, but I remember pretty clearly like that was a big issue. And so you, know, you, you said the closing was pretty smooth. So if it was for oh, you, that's yeah. great. Um, <laughs> I kind of, but on the back end, there was some stuff that, that went on, um, but it ended up happening. We ended up closing. And sorry, I, I did interrupt you, but I just didn't, I didn't want to get that away. Just, just to let people know that you know, when you are seeing these units that are zoned single family, but look like a duplex, you may run into the issue of, of an appraisal. And so ways around that are cutting a hole in the wall, making it a door, right? At least just temporarily for the appraisal. And then you can, you know, put it back when you're done or whatever. I know some people, they literally had an up down duplex. They literally had to basically put a hole in the floor of the upstairs, put a spiral staircase in just for the appraisal. When the appraiser came and left, they took the stairs out and redid it. Literally like a $10,000 project or something just to pass the appraisal. So just so everyone is aware of that, that stuff can happen. Z, do you have anything to add there? Yeah. And I will say that if you have a good agent, it should feel smooth, right? Because it's like, we're supposed to kind of hold all of that for you and make sure that it does go over and we get you a different appraiser and it's all going to be fine. So if it felt smooth on your side, Matt, that that just means that Craig did a good job with it. Cause uh, <laughs> that's what we do, right? Making uh, Craig, dreams happen. Craig, you, you crushed it. 
Okay, well, actually, thanks, now that I think now that I think back about that thirty day contract period, that was a really stressful time. Okay, <laughs> so I was under a tight deadline. The house that I was living in without a lease was under contract to close, and I had to be gone March first. And because of that appraisal, instead of it being a thirty day contract period, it ended up going over to like forty or forty five, something in that range. So that meant that I didn't have a place to live. Uh, we officially closed on March 17th. So then I was calling the, the realtor who was, who was representing the person who just purchased the place that I was currently staying at. And I reached out to that new buyer and I was like, please, I'm desperate. Just killing her with kindness so that she would let me stay an extra two weeks. And then I had to give her some money just so I was like, I'm telling you, like I'm closing on this house. So actually now that I think back about it, yeah, there, that was stressful. No question. <laughs> so that lady bought a house and it came with like a troll in the basement. It's <laughs> just like, like a sneaky guy was... on a mattress. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Unfurnished basement. I'd have a space heater because it was, it was winter. It was so bad, but I was scrapping and doing what I, I like. I had that vision for where I wanted to be. And I feel like those are the moments looking back on where you're going to be like, we'll hopefully pay off 10 years later, but there was roofers. And then the house I was living in, it was torn. It was not in good shape. Now it was like, a, they bought it for like 500 and then they completely redid it. Now it's a million dollar house. But that like two week period, I was still working a full-time job. There was like roofers who were coming in and like the house was shaking at like 7am when I was, <laughs> yeah, it's easy to look back on being and be like, Oh, that was easy. But no, now that I'm thinking about it, <laughs> that was stressful. No question. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So you keep saying unfurnished basement, but what was it? An unfinished basement, like unfurnished, you have no oh, furniture, yeah. but unfinished, you have like no drywall. So it's just kind of like yeah, cement concrete floors. Yeah. Was that what it was like? It was, it was so bad. It was concrete floors, it's... like a bench press next to a mattresses. Thing. It was like, <laughs> I wow. don't know. I probably didn't have to, but I don't, I was in a full commission job. And what's like, if I wasn't making it, then I'm moving back to Chicago. And I love, and like, I couldn't have been more motivated and I was suck it up for that period until you could get the finances in check. And I, and that's what I, I was motivated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like something Craig did, you know, living behind a curtain, <laughs> but I think what's cool to hear about this is that there's lots of house hackers listening, right. And they have sometimes odd spaces, you know, sometimes you'll have like a unofficial bedroom with no windows or something like that. And if bedrooms go for six or 700, but you can put somebody on an unfinished or no window room for 500, like it's good to know that there's some flexibility. Yes, it might not be a year lease, but sometimes you can make money on odd situations. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing I just want to add to that, like I've definitely rented out rooms that, you know, didn't have the windows and all that kind of stuff. And, and you do, you can rent them out and they're just a little bit cheaper. However, there is, I just want to like cover all bases. There is a liability there if the bedroom is not too cold with an egress window and all that kind of stuff, or if something were to happen and they were to get stuck in the room, you as a landlord may be liable. So, you know, yeah. the risk that something happens is extremely low, but the, the consequences are extremely high. So, you know, do what you want with that. But Matt, why don't you take us through the deal and the numbers of it? So, you know, what did you purchase the property for? What was your mortgage payment? What's your strategy? How are you renting it out? And, and all that kind of good stuff. Right. So it actually started on the MLS at 450. It must have sat there for a month or so. And the owners lowered the price to 435. And then I'm doing the classic thing where it's just like, we should go and blow ask and, and 
per Craig's advice, and I'm sure you could touch on this now on the residential side, everything normally goes for over asking price, just how competitive it is in Denver. So we just went in standard 30 day contract at the 435 value. We put 5% down interest rates weren't as low as they are now, but I mean, anything below four, the numbers just work. So we got a 3.625 interest rate. It came out to roughly 2,200 a month, monthly payment. And I still have to do my taxes to finish out the exact numbers, but the two sides. And so I stay on the uh, one side of the duplex and I I had a, a good friend with me. So I rented out the two rooms on my side to, uh, to pretty close friends of mine, just just from my, my network in, in, in here. And on the other side of the duplex, I was intrigued by this Airbnb. I, was, I just thought it was cool to use the Airbnb platform. Um, and I could go into my first tenant horror story of using that. Yeah, do tell. <laughs> oh my God. I, I think I could match any bad tenant horror story with this. And you, okay, so you also have to remember the time. I closed on March 17th. If everyone remembers, I was St. Patrick's Day. That was pretty much when the world shut down for months. And that was just, I mean, the knot in my stomach, it was just like, I bought it. And it's easy to look back now when every housing price in Denver has went up 10% from a year ago. But at that time, I thought it was, you have those bad thoughts. And like, this is going to be 2009 and 10 again. It's like, I'm going to be... So I, I have all those bad thoughts and I'm just like, oh God, like in the world is just the most depressing state ever. And I had this intention to rent that out on Airbnb. I still wanted to try it, but obviously travel was shut down. And so I move in March 17th, and then we're all working from home, which actually worked out nicely because I had time to hang all the blinds and do those little little setup things. But I furnished the other side of the duplex and had my two friends living with me on my side. And the other side, I throw it on Airbnb and the first tenant I get, this really shady contractor who stays there for a week and I clicked the pets allowed button and and I'm thinking that the world is ending at the time and I'm going to be sitting on vacant units for the next five months. So I'm a lot more seeking where I, where I would take it. I, I'm like, I was just like, I need to get this rented. I'm, I'm in trouble otherwise. So this guy... I mean, he's got like two giant pit bulls, but not the friendly kind. I like, my sister has a friendly pit bull. These were like ferocious dogs that were <laughs> massive. And, and he comes in, but I, and I'm kind of just making those first time landlord mistakes where I'm a lot more lenient. And I kind of let him push me over a little bit. He was like in his sixties and, and a really rough around the edges guy. And then he stays for the week. He's fine. He's kind of respectful. I could tell in his eyes that he has, he's shady and it's Saturday night. I'm just like, I, I, the world was shut down, but I was just like hanging in, in the, in our like front yard or our porch. And he comes up and he whips out a thousand dollars cash. And he says like, Hey, we, we love the place. Like, and I was like, do you mind if we stay here till you know, a couple more weeks and yada, yada. And I'm just like, well, let's do it through Airbnb. I just want to make sure like you're going through the proper mediums. And then kind of in that moment of weakness, this guy walks up with a thousand dollars cash and asks if he could stay at the end of the month. I'm completely unprotected. I don't have a lease. I don't have this. And I, as soon as I accept his money, the next day he just flips and he starts treating the place horribly. He moves in like his three grandkids. He had a son who was my age, who was a jerk. And he had another pit bull. So there was three pit bulls. I think there was nights where there was like, there was like nine people staying in this 800 square foot. It was Yikes. a disaster. I was getting pushed over. 
it was just that classic horror story. So this is the pinnacle of it. After a week or two, it's, it's kind of bad. It's just like an eerie feeling. I kind of knew I messed up and I could kind of poke in. So I see how dirty the place is. And at that time, you have to remember, this is the end of April. Now the world is in a horrible place. So I have like a backyard weight. All the gyms are closed. I like to exercise. So I have a backyard like weight set up and just to exercise during the day, everyone's working from home. I had like, I made a makeshift gym in the backyard that I was working out and we had we had like a little boxing gloves and, and just a free weights. And then I'm in the backyard working out. And then the guy comes, the guy comes back from work one day and I ask him in a nice way to clean the place. And then he just gets extremely aggressive, gets up in my face. He's like, he's like, you want to go right now? And he takes the boxing gloves and wants, and, and it's, it's, it's like trying to fist fight oh me God. in my backyard. And this is two weeks into me being a landlord being like, oh, no. I'm like, Oh my God. But yeah, so I had to, so you're like, what do you do? Deescalate the situation. And, but no, I did not fight. It was such a disaster. This is that, yeah, that's the long version. That's the horror story of that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, dude, that, that sounds like a a miserable thing. And, and almost every horror story that I've ever heard, it can always be put back on the landlord or the property owner yourself for, acting in a fit of scaredness, acting irrationally, you know, and even during a pandemic, right? You got to hold your standards. And it's so easy. Every single person that I've talked to that has taken $1,000 upfront rent or six months rent upfront cash or whatever it is, has regretted it. Like it's never worth it. If they can't pay you rent monthly, like a normal person, then it's, it's never, it's never worth it. Just, um, uh, just but, the classic rookie mistake. So, yeah. <laughs> I remember so that Saturday did, how, night, he hands me a thousand bucks. I'm like, I'm rich. This is, <laughs> this is awesome. And it was just, yeah, so nice. it felt, I will never do that again. You just have to always have a lease and protection and a security deposit. No, just no exceptions. <laughs> yeah. Z, do you have anything to add there? Yeah. One thing I will add is that anytime it's under 30 days, don't take it off the platform. If you're going to do something with Airbnb, just for other people that are listening and stuff, you want to have like a short-term lease or something like that. So do something more month to month, but yeah, under 30 days, it's just not even worth writing a lease for that short of time. So like if they can't do it through Airbnb, like that's a red flag for sure. Yeah. Lesson learned. But I mean, in reality, that was kind of a funny story looking back on (laughs) But I mean, yeah, these are why we have a podcast, right? This is, these are the lessons that you hope that other people won't repeat, even though they probably will, because it's, it's these, these $1,000 caches are, are really tempting. So how, how did you get this guy out? And why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, what you're doing with it now and what those numbers look like? Yeah. So, I, I mean, in reality, and, and this is just stuff I learned, just knowing how people operate. I think it works better to kill people with kindness. So that's what I did. And he left at the end of the month, um, which was like, four days after that. I mean, he like jipped me on like a day of rent or something like that. But in reality, he left and it essentially was just a $200 cleaning fee. And I learned a, a good lesson. So kind of regrouped. I was like, I got to be a lot more smarter. And what I ended up doing, so then it was it ended up being summer and, and the best tool of all, Facebook marketplace is just incredible. I mean, even just from furnishing, like getting a a grill or furniture or just like anything just from Facebook marketplace. And then putting my listing on Facebook marketplace, I've had the most success with that. And in particular, my, for my house, the best tenants I get are, I like that everyone's moving to Denver. So people who just graduate college, I think is a great little niche I have. And people who just want to really 
cheap, affordable living where they don't have to necessarily be locked into a one-year lease. I usually just like to do a six-month lease or sometimes they're even more flexible. I just learned the three months I don't want leases to end are January, February, March. Um, But besides for that, as long as they don't exit during... Those are the hard months to fill, but everything else just... I mean, it makes sense for both parties. It's the cheapest rent in Denver. And you, yeah, you, you're not going to live in low high by the plaid and, and, or Rhino, but you can pay $800 a month and live 10 minutes from all the quote young people uh, spots. And, and Denver's just a great setup for that. And I like being on the west side of town because it's closer to the mountains. <laughs> yeah. So when you got these tenants in, you were saying that your mortgage is $2,200 a month. So what were you renting each room for? Yeah. So then I, I put it on Facebook Marketplace. My next two tenants were people who just graduated college or are going to be a senior in college and they just did internships in Denver. So I rented to two summer interns. There's one room that's slightly larger. So, and this is what I did. So I bake in the, um, all the additional fees and I don't know exactly. So including all the additional fees, it's, it's for the two other sides, it's 900 and 875, one room slightly larger than the other. And so you have to remember there's five people total and the five additional fees are Excel energy, internet, water, sewer. And then also like there's just all the, at least a few times a year, you're paying for common area maintenance, meaning leaves, snow removals, just stuff like that, that I usually just pay someone. So I don't know how exactly how to bake in those fees. It roughly comes out to depending on the months, uh, it could be 70 to $90 a month. And even when I market it, because people don't re- tenants don't realize what those costs are. And I have a spreadsheet that tracks it all, but just I market it at a I market it at $75 below and then just say in the post on the ads, um, like $75 utility fee. And then I could break out that with a spreadsheet at a later point. So yes, I just do an all-in cost for that reason. All right, man. So real quick, kind of like high level. We got nine hundred for one bed, eight seventy-five for the other bed, and that's in the three bed that you're living. You're occupying one bedroom in that three bed aspect. Oh, of the that's house. A, that's what a duplex get? side. That's a duplex side. That's a du- Oh, okay. So that's the duplex side, nine hundred eight seventy-five. What are you getting for your side, the three bed? So I live in one of the rooms, and the two other rooms on my side they are slightly smaller. So it's six seventy-five plus the seventy-five dollar utility fee, which is internet, water, sewer. Excellent. So like 750. So, so 750, 750 for, for both sides? Uh, for the two on my okay. side, correct. All right. So dude, that's, uh, what is that? 15 plus 17. That's like $3,200 you're making in rent-ish. Right? I just did some quick quick math on a $2,200 mortgage plus you're living for free, right? So you're, you're cash flowing a thousand bucks plus you're living for free. Plus, who knows what that thing is worth now? Probably closer to five hundred grand, just given the appreciation in the past year. Uh, and so, you know, yes, you were scared. Yes, the pandemic hit, right? But just by sticking to your standards, getting good renters in, and even giving your buddies maybe a little bit of a discount at that seven fifty, you're still able to, you know, cash flow swimmingly and, and all that. And so, I guess what happened, you know, after you got this place settled, did you just kind of like? Now you're just focused on your job or, or uh, being a commercial broker or, or what happened then? A hundred percent. And that's definitely where I, where I spend the most of my time and energy, um, just prospecting, calling, working the, on my industrial real estate deals. And things were things have been going really well on the industrial brokerage side, but that early summer was a scary time. Everyone just was in a hold pause position. So if I didn't have that, that house... 
I would be so much more stressed out about money. I don't know if I would have made it as a living at the fancy, cool apartment downtown. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of there's tenants constantly turning over. You have to have hard conversations a, a lot of times. All, you know, one of the tenants, her boyfriend move in and just to have that conversation. And other times, like another guy who's a great guy, just kind of down on his luck. He was working in the retail or bar industry and then dealing with those layoffs. Like he was having trouble making... So you're having, you're having hard conversations all the time, but it, it was... I mean, just following the the attitude and mindset of, that the bigger pockets preaches, I would be so much more stressed out if I didn't have, if I didn't pull the trigger and take action on this. And if you work a full commission job, not having to pay rent has been a game changer for me, just from a stress management perspective financially. That's great. Yeah. So if you look towards your future now that you've been there over a year, are you starting to think and plan about your second house hack, or do you feel like you can't really do that yet? Oh, oh, a hundred percent. I'm all in. And I also, because a lot of people, they just don't want to manage the chaos of, of all those headaches. Like there's always things, and it is, it is work. And I've, I've, the H the furnace went out. So that was another thing we had to deal with in, in January. And just that whole fiasco where you gotta, you know, you can't have no heat for your tenants. And, and there's always little small breaks here and there, a sink or something. Um, but I, I'm a hundred, I mean, my mindset is just do it while I'm young. It, the numbers just make so much sense. You can put 5% down when it's even just shocking how many, how most people don't know that, or they think you have to put 20% down or they just don't know the power of debt. That was another, like when the government just prints money and you could lock in an interest rate now, what below like two and a half percent, that's the best investment you could possibly have when I would, based on my accounting background, the inflation is going to be more than what you could lock in a, a loan at from my economics courses. <laughs> so I'm, awesome, trying to yeah, I'm so, trying to scale, but I need to close more yeah. deals in the, in the industrial real estate side. <laughs> you got, yeah. You got to save that money up so you can get that next down payment. But that's, dude, that's awesome. And obviously, you know, because you've eliminated your rent expense, you obviously can save that up a lot quicker. And I'll say, dude, like, I've got a handful of single family properties now. I have like maybe 15 or so doors that are basically like single, small multifamilies. And I'm actually looking to get into some of the the commercial stuff, kind of like maybe what you're doing or, or whatever. Like, you know, I, I like the triple net lease stuff is kind of what I'm looking into next, but I'm still going to house hack because there's no better way to spend $30,000 in the Denver market than to house hack it's the best return on your investment you could possibly get. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Uh, Matt, we got to get into the the final part of the show. So do you have any other quick words of wisdom and then we'll, we'll head on over? I have that. That's the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah. I want to hear more about your future commercial. Uh, yeah, we can, potential we can pursuit, chat about so that. So that might have to be another time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we're running out of time here. We'll have to chat about that maybe offline here, but uh, all right, let's get into the final four. All right, Matt, what are you reading right now? All right. I just read an incredible book. I'm almost done. I got like a chapter left, but shoe dog. So this is the uh, Phil Knight, the guy who created Nike. Um, such a good book. And I, it just hit home with me so much. And this is Nike in like the sixties and seventies when Adidas and Puma were the, were the big corporate ones, but Nike was just this one, he was an athlete at Oregon. And then 
he loved traveling. So he, made, he was traveling the world after he graduated and made this connection with a manufacturer in Japan. And then it's just disguised how he like slowly built his team. And then he was selling shoes at a high school. And then also he worked a big four accounting job too, while he was doing that on the side. So I just, I was just so inspired by the story and how he builds his team. It's, it's such a good book. He, his uh, manager at Deloitte ends up being his like coming on board with him. And his business partner was his track, was Phil Knight's uh, track coach who helped him along the way. And he had like a great rep and just like how he slowly builds his team. That book is incredible. I'd recommend that. Awesome. I got a shoe dog for anyone <laughs> that, yeah, that, that is, I haven't read that one yet, but it is on my list of things I should probably read. Matt, second question. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Yeah. So this is related to kind of just like a more of the mindset thing where I, I think there's two mindsets we could have where you fear of failure versus fear of regret. And 10 times out of 10, I would rather fail and just land flat on my face than have that regret of not even trying and taking action is, is just a hundred, hundred percent, you know, how you get over that. Oh yeah. I was going to kind of relate to that. You know, uh, if you follow me on Instagram and all that, you probably saw that I bought a van, tried to fix it up, failed, sold the crappy van, bought a new van that was already fixed up and tried to kind of live out of that for a few months. And then I honestly ended up not really liking that as it continues to grow a business. So I ended up selling it and now I live in a house just like everybody else. But, you know, it took me a couple of vans and a couple of iterations and a couple of <laughs> pain in the butts, buys and sales and all that to do that. And just what you said, man, it, that's exactly it was that like, I was afraid, like I had that itch that like, I wanted to try van life, right? And van life is great if you're going to be traveling and you're going to wake up to the Grand Canyon every day. But when you're waking up in your backyard, it's less fun. So, uh, <laughs> but the itch has been scratched. I don't really have a desire to do that anymore. And so like that feeling of not regret, right? Yes, it cost me some, some money, but like it was so worth scratching the itch. So I just wanted to relate to that. But Matt, it sounded like you were going to say something else. No, Craig. I too want to experience the van life. It's a, I too want to do it, man. Van. <laughs> yeah, scratch, scratch the itch, man. Yeah, oh, it's so funny sure. that it's such a it's so popular nowadays. I, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's true. All right, do you want to kick us off the next question? Yeah. What is your why? Yeah, good question. So I had uh, it's probably a couple couple months ago. I was getting all all intrinsic about about my life. What I what I want. And so this is, how, this is how I want to answer that question. So I was just like had, talking with someone who was like, what's your greatest fear in life? And I used to think my greatest fear of life in life was living a boring life. Maybe this was like back in my accounting days <laughs> um, <laughs> where like you like grew up in Chicago, moved to the suburbs, get married. Like, but now I kind of got, had like an intrinsic experience in my life. I was thinking over, I think my greatest fear in life is not living up to my full potential. I know that's really ambiguous. I don't know um, what that means, but I, uh, I don't have to be cliche. I want to, my why, I don't know. I want to do, I want to do something great or this or that. I don't know exactly what that is. It's almost like when I graduated and was doing the Deloitte CPA accounting route, I knew that would open up doors, but I didn't know what exactly would open up. And that helped me get to where I am now in this it just opens up doors. So now the house hacking, the financial independence, I don't know what it will, but it'll open up freedom to, for that time or moment when, you know, I could capitalize on it. Cause I won't be worried about money. Hopefully <laughs> if I get more house hacks. <laughs> yeah, man, no, that, that actually, that, you know, just living up to your full potential. I know it sounds super cliche, but I heard it like in an interesting way. I was actually reading Ed, my book, which is like this wicked small book. It's called max out. And what he says was like, 
you know, when I get to the pearly gates or whatever, like right, right after he dies, uh, like he wants to meet the man that he could have been. And he wants to basically see like he is the man he is and he wants to meet the man that he could have been. And he wants those two people to be the exact same person. And, and that's like how he framed it. And I guess the way he framed it was just like, for me, it was like, I never really thought of it that way. And I'm not even like a religious person, but like the way you think like, okay, this is my max potential. You want to be the exact person of that. I don't know. It just resonated with me. And so I don't know if uh, that might be something that, I don't know. It, what you said reminded me of that. It's such a dude way to look at it. Like <laughs> to me, I think that every second of every day you make decisions. And so there would be thousands of versions of you that you could have been. Right. And so like, we'll never be our full potential. I don't believe in that shit. Like, come uh, on, Craig. Uh, uh, I love that's such a shit way of saying it. <laughs> it's true though. It's just like your values change over time. So the person that you could be, that's your truest potential. If you get all intrinsic, then it could be something totally different. Maybe like halfway through, you're like, I just want to be a priest. You know, your life could totally change. Yeah, yeah that, good this point. <laughs> yeah. I'm smart, guys. Is, I'm smart. This is a long, this is a long <laughs> conversation. <laughs> yeah, this could be a podcast within itself. What is, what um, is the meaning of life? I'm trying, I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're 42. That out day by day. <laughs> 42. All right, man. What are some fun and interesting alternatives to war that countries could settle their differences with? Oh, great question. Fantastic. So this is, this is the surprise question. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like the killing people with kindness and, uh, Oh, actually, well, okay. Well, cause you know, but that's so cliche and basic where everyone has to, but if you just have, have those open conversations and, and see where other people are coming from, it, it works. But actually, while I was saying that, I thought of a better answer. 2020. Right. Let's hear the okay. better answer. Do you want? And this is good for my for a, a life goal, life bucket list of mine. Olympics. You have an Olympic showdown of the top uh, <laughs> of the winner of the Olympics. And the reason I thought about that is because it's coming up in uh, 2021 in Tokyo. And I made a life pact with one of my good friends who I grew up with that we're going to go to every single Summer Olympics until we die. <laughs> we went to Rio. Uh, uh, that was right right after I graduated. We went to Rio, and before I started working full time, I spent the summer down down there which was the best time ever. <laughs> that's that's actually awesome and, and kind of funny. Yeah, imagine like there's countries that are just never going to get their way. Like, yeah, I don't know, but like Turkey or something, maybe you're like super unathletic and you've got to go against like the US and like swimming. It's like, yeah, there's just no chance or basketball or something like that. That's funny though. Yeah, but you could, you unite through sports. You bond through that. And then you realize like the people on the ground have are on the same page and go through the... And usually those problems arise from just some... I don't know. BS politicians at that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But all right, Matt, where can people find out more about you? Just all the social media outlets, Facebook, Matt Nora, LinkedIn, Matt Nora, Instagram. Oh, I hate, I hate Instagram. I want to quit, <laughs> but I'm addicted. <laughs> I'm Nora165. Um, yeah. All those are just, just Google. Would work. Awesome. But yeah, all those social media outlets I'm, I'm on. Um, yeah, so if you guys want to reach out to Matt and learn about his tenant experiences and his first house hack that he went through and how he had some obstacles, but obviously got over them, feel free to reach out. And then Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Really appreciate you having you here. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate it. And that was Matt Nora. Z, what'd you think of that? Yeah, I, I loved hearing how you know, committed he was to being able to like live on a mattress and in a basement that sounds just like dark and sad. 
But it sounds like he did that for an entire year to get himself to where he wanted to be. And then in the hardest times of the pandemic, he had like a thousand dollars of cash flow carrying him through and free rent. So I think that that is just a, a really cool experience for him to have and like boost him towards the future. Yeah, I think that's a glorious part of house stacking is it does just allow you to take those, you know, bigger and better risks. And yeah, he was done with the corporate world. Now in a sales job, if he doesn't make a sale, he doesn't get paid. And now, you know, he's he's doing a lot better from what I presume. And yeah, I just, you know, I love how kind of how genuine he is, how authentic he is. And just, he's just a normal dude that just, you know, bought a house hack and, and now is living for free and is actually building some serious wealth. So it's phenomenal. Yeah. If he can do it, anyone can, right? So that's just what we're trying to show people. It's just not as hard as you think it could be. You just got to get in there and try. Exactly right. All right. Well, I think that is it for this week. Uh, if you enjoyed this show and enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a rating, review, comment. Hit us up on Instagram. Uh, I'm at the Fi Guy and Z. Your Ziana McIntyre Real Estate. I am. I love that you have that memorized. Uh, <laughs> me go. Yeah, definitely. Let us know how you're. You know, if you like it and whatnot. Well, you know, I think we always respond to to our messages. So yeah, we'll see you all next week. 